0: All right, we are live and kicking, I believe. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. (laughs) Should have sorted my windows out before I started this broadcast, but there we go. Hello, my name is Kane Sims, as always, and as always, this is VUX World. I'm delighted for you to join me. Thank you for joining me. And uh, today we are joined by Kim West, who is a director of product marketing at Unifor. Uh, A lot of you probably know Unifor. Unifor has been around for a long time, actually, uh, and has been through various guises and is now definitely one of the lead in the conversational AI space. And so we're going to be picking Kim's brains around some of the successes that Unifor have had, some of the tips and tricks that she might be able to share with businesses that want to try and capitalize on what is now probably like the biggest growth industry <laughs> going, you know, uh, since since last November, conversational AI is looking good. And so, uh, yeah, excited for this conversation with Kim West. And so without further ado, let's bring Kim on, shall we? Kim, welcome to Vux World.
1: Great to be here, Kim.
0: Thank you for joining me. All the way from Canada?
1: All the way from Canada, Toronto.
0: (laughs) Nice, nice. Representing. Lots going on in Toronto. Like It seems to be that, you know, I I say this every time someone from Toronto is on, which seems to be fairly frequent enough, but uh, yeah, Toronto is a a happening place in the the AI space right now.
1: It is. We like to say in Canada that we are part of the sort of creators, the originals um, that are here. Some of the godfathers of AI are in Canada, so it's a good place to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of exciting companies in Canada as well. Uh, cohere the uh, based in Toronto, I believe, actually. Uh, <laughs> they're doing very well. Yeah, um, So yeah, there you go. Thank you for joining me. Um, so tell us about yourself then, Kim. How did you get into uh, conversational AI generally?
1: Yeah, no, great question. Uh, I always like to say that I am uh, a former agent, actually. So uh, Unifor itself started in the contact center space, thinking through how do we actually improve conversation communication? I was an agent 20 years ago, Came across these companies that were actually doing cool things in the contact center space. And so found Unifor about two and a half years ago and loved that they were looking at the full experience. So not only the back end in terms of tools for agents, and then not just QM, QA for quality management, but they're looking at analytics in a unique way. And then really looking at the front end, Of like, wait a minute, if we can improve what's happening on the call or in the chat, we have some analytics, how do we then improve that front end self-service experience that a lot of customers are looking for? When we think conversational AI, we think of that front end, but it really blows throughout every part of the interaction a customer has with any brand that they're talking to.
0: Mm, Interesting. Uh, definitely get into analytics shortly because it's definitely a, a topic well worth exploring and underexplored actually. In, in lots of cases, I think. Um, how did so? So you were a customer service agent. So you answering phones at one point twenty years ago. You said. Yes.
1: Yeah, so so I, I know the pain. I did it for three years, and I, I understand the sort of strain that happens with that in terms of you have to be efficient, you have to hit certain metrics, you get rated on how you're doing on a daily basis, sometimes weekly in terms of did you do the opening welcome call? Did you do all of the authentication? Um, And then on top of that, did you upsell, cross-sell? So there's a lot that a customer service agent actually has to know and manage in one time. And the idea that for so long they were just doing it on their own It's fascinating. And I think it's a great training ground for anybody that then later on wants to go up professionally into any role. I I speak to myself like the reason why I have comfort speaking at all times (laughs) or in any medium is partially because of that experience.
0: Yeah and, and and that's evident because I sprung on you that this was actually going to be a live broadcast uh, about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> and so uh, and so ad- adapti- adaptivity is also something that uh, that you learn there. Uh, it's interesting because I we had the conversation with Sham Aziz from Selfridges last week on the podcast mm-hmm. and it touched on on these exact issues, not issues but these exact points which is that having that foundation in customer service, answering calls, speaking to customers, teaches you so much about kind of like business in general and gives you a load of foundational skills that you can use uh, for everything else beyond that, you know. And in fact, Shan was saying that he thinks that spending time in customer service should basically be kind of like either like an apprentice or like a mandatory requirement of entering the workplace in general because of how much value there is to be learned there.
1: Completely agree. There's actually a company I know based here in Canada, regardless what level you are, when you join the company, two weeks of the sort of onboarding is that you actually need to either take calls or need to do side by side shadowing of the customer success team. So you have a strong understanding of the customer base, their pain points, what the company actually does, regardless if you work in finance or if you work on the tech team.
0: Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. And um, the, the other thing we were talking about is how like customer service as a job isn't what it was kind of assumed to be before, which is like, so growing up and, you know, going to college, going to uni or whatever, at that kind of age between like 16 to 20, early 20s, lots of friends had, you know, jobs in call centers and stuff like that. And it was always seen as as a similar kind of job to working in a corner shop, which I used to do, or working in a bar, which I also used to do. It's almost (laughs) like that entry level kind of job for lots of people. But the conversation I was having with, with Sham last week was that actually, like you've just named a load of stuff that, that a customer service agent needs to do: multiple systems, you know, uh, you need an understanding of technology, you need to be understand people, you need to have relatively kind of not just thick skin, as in not to take offence when you when you're being shouted at, but also the skills to be able to navigate that negative conversation into a positive conversation, which is a tremendous social skill to be able to have. And so yes. it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Al- although there is these entry level jobs. Customer service isn't, shouldn't really be one of them because it is quite a complex area.
1: Especially not anymore. I, I think what's so fascinating is that now they're actually looking for people. So if I look and I think about our client base, our customers are looking for people who actually have post-secondary education and have some sense of being able to absorb a lot of new information because that adaptability and being able to understand what the company does really appeal to that customer, navigate the different issues that they have, maybe transition them into something else that they weren't even calling about. So yes, you resolve their base issues, but can you now maybe upsell, cross sell them into something? Can you inform them on something new that's coming in the next six months? You're kind of getting that sort of seed planted. There's a number of things now that, I look at it as becoming more and more of this professional training ground more so than just entry level. And you could have tiers now within the contact center of like, yes, come in, entry level, great way to sort of just get started. But then there's growth potential even before you get to the next levels of supervisor management. And then it helps you if you want to continue throughout that company. Because most companies, if you think of the ones that have contact centers are large global brands that we're all familiar with. We've all at one point had to call into a contact center because of some issue. Um, And so those companies have that departments
0: and other areas that that person could work in as well. Mm. Olya is shouting Shopify on the chat on LinkedIn. I don't know. That's because is is Shopify one of the companies that mandates people spend time in customer services uh, when people begin? I don't know.
1: That would be interesting. I I wouldn't be surprised, actually. I I know that they do encourage their employees to actually build their own retail store. So I I could imagine they might do something similar like that. Just it's the empathy piece at the end of the day. I think the, the biggest thing, what I find funny, actually, with all things AI coming into our space is the emphasis on being human. And it's almost like we had to get the reminder that. We shouldn't just be going through the motions for the longest time when it came to customer service contact center. It was like the necessary evil. Like, let's have this thing. Let's make sure people are getting their answers. But now we're stepping back and rethinking it and saying, wait, how can we be more human if all of the other stuff that was like drudgery and taking time is being handled by the tech? How do we show up to be empathetic, personal, connect, actually build a relationship and we know that gives you a lot more in terms of what everybody wants—long time, uh, long-term customer value and pieces like that.
0: Mm, definitely. Um, Olya says yes, so I believe that is the case. Love for Shopify. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's so interesting because there's a lot of stuff here that is very similar to, to as I mentioned that, that podcast with with Sham from Selfages, and I think I'd encourage everyone to go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Um, because what's interesting is you're seeing a very similar kind of very similar narrative which is around ai being a tool there to help people f- fundamentally creating the capacity taking away the judge work judge work and then creating the capacity to for us to do more and, and i think that what we ended up discussing with with sham was that actually some companies are not really they don't have enough imagination when it comes to Conversational AI and, and automation in general, because they think that it's going to take people's jobs away, as, rather than thinking about the kind of IKEA example, which is they automated 20, 30% of its calls, but instead of sacking its staff, it retrained a bunch of people to be interior design consultants. And now it's charging people £45 for an appointment with one of the people who used to cost the business. To have that same to have, to have the conversation with the customers, so they've turned what was a revenue uh, or, or a cost into a revenue generator because they had some imagination. I don't think a lot, I don't think every company has that level of imagination, so it's a little bit people are a little bit afraid, um, which I think is wrong. Afraid wrongly, and what was interesting, I'll mention this one anecdote because and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. But there was, mm-hmm. I was talking to Claude the other week, right? I don't know if you've ex- have you experienced Claude from Anthropic yet? No. It's really interesting. If you look at the likes of ChatGPT and BARD and stuff like that, they're very obviously presenting themselves as tools. So if ChatGPT can't quite answer a question, it'll say, I'm sorry, like my training data doesn't go back that far, you know, but uh, I can't really answer it. Or if you try and push it in the wrong direction, it'll kind of, it'll, say, it'll basically just say, I'm not going to do that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question because I don't, you know, whatever. Whereas Claude is a lot more personable. And when you start really pushing it, it starts to tell you things like, I'm here to serve humanity. I'm here to help people. I was asking it, like, what, would you, what will you be doing in 5,000 years' time? And it was saying stuff like, I'll be helping bridge the gap between humans and other species. And so, so it's like Anthropic have really sort of trained this thing to be first and foremost there to do nothing but help people and to have mm-hmm. people in its best interest, which is like that's AI in practice. Whereas the headlines is more AI is going to take jobs and AI is going to be devastating, create this dystopian future. Whereas actually the people that are building the AI systems, they've all got responsibility in mind. They're all trying to create these things to be helpful. So I don't know if there's, I don't know, it seems to me as though there's like, a yeah, people imagine the worst, don't they? Whereas actually the reality is not quite like that.
1: Well, you have to think about who's mentioning the worst, like we're in an age because of tools like this, podcasting and others in the media landscape, where the biggest thing is how do I get eyeballs on the content I'm creating and you get eyeballs on content when you solicit fear. And so there's a lot of individuals who are adding to this narrative of like, it's coming to take your jobs really to try to get people to their content and to consume their content and get the clicks and the ad revenue that they're looking for. But if we go to the reality of just, you know, those who are actually living and breathing it, us working with our customers in this space, a lot of it is what you're mentioning where it's the creativity. It's the reimagining of like, wait a minute what does a contact center actually mean? And is it, and even thinking, redefining the definition of contact center. So for the very long time, we would think of it as that back end person that picks up the phone and answers calls. You might've extended it to chatbots that you engage with on the laptop, et cetera, when you go to a website. But now we're looking at it through the lens of really any service conversation. And that could be even the IT person that you have to connect with to, you know, fix your laptop, any service interaction that you have, Can we reimagine and rethink, how could that be done more efficiently so we can get these individuals to do more higher value work? Is there other things? Because that individual that was on the phone or was responding to chat conversations has a very strong understanding of your business and your customer. That takes years for other people in your organization to learn. Could that person now be repurposed as an internal trainer on a particular subject area? Could they be repurposed to now be a specialist in a particular area, maybe a particular product that you have and they're an advisor to your product team or your marketing team, could they eventually be a part of the marketing team? So I, I love what you said. I think the cool part with AI and the technology that we have and even the talks that I give to our customers is really saying, don't look at it as how can it redo the work that you're currently doing? Look at it as, wait a minute, the limitation is really myself and my own perception of what this could be doing. And so when we talk about how to use this technology, it's not just the idea of like call containment or agent efficiency. It really is looking at it through the lens of like, what's the use case? If your company at the company level is going through a problem, let's say in the retail sector, when it comes to returns, returns seem to be the biggest things when it comes to any sort of e-commerce shopping. Can you reimagine how to support that? And not just look at it through the lens of like, let's make sure the agent's trained on our return policies. Really, let's look at it and say, can we rethink? The the best customer example um, that I would give, not customer uniform, but, but I'm saying from my experience as a customer, is Wayfair. Very recently, I purchased a few items from Wayfair. I didn't like two of them. I was ready to initiate the return process. What did they do? They said, you know what? Would you prefer a credit? What if we gave you a 20% credit instead of having to do the return? Would you be willing to keep the item? And honestly, I did. I was like, you know what? Even though it's not the item that I really wanted, I'm more than happy to keep it. That 20% discount made me as a customer happy. But for them as a business, saves them so much money because you can imagine the packaging, the cost of actually shipping that back, then the risk of that item that gets back being damaged in some way. So you can't even resell it. So you can't even recoup the cost to a certain level. How does that come about? It comes about with reimagining. It's looking at it and saying every single contact that comes through our company. So look at the contact center. Every contact comes through our company. Let's say 25% plus of that seems to be something in regards to returns they are not satisfied, et cetera. And then looking at the cost and saying, well, this is costing us X amount of dollars. Why can't we be pre-active or preemptive and saying, let's just change this. I don't even want this call or this um, chat to go to a human because I didn't speak to a human. It was literally click a button to return. The next screen was, do you want a discount? And called it a day. The fact that that yeah. didn't have to go to, to a human agent saves so much time. The idea that that process was already upfront means that that company now has me as a loyal customer and gives me more security as a customer to say, when I buy a product, either one, I'll get this credit, or two, they're making the return process so easy. I don't have to wait on hold to talk to someone, convince them that this product needs to be returned and then go from there. So it really is looking at it and saying, how can I reimagine the future? And how can I redeploy the individuals I do have in my organization? There's so many other roles. Like for me, this is very similar in introducing the internet or even the industrial revolution. Yes, roles and jobs were replaced and changed but new ones came about there's jobs now that never existed before that's where we're at there's people who are now saying that they're specialists in being able to create the prompts for chat gpt that's already becoming its own stream there's other streams of roles that could happen i think that's fascinating that same person in the contact center could be your best resource on social media and building a better community for you. So really thinking through what does that mean? Uh, one, one thing I'll say before we continue here is I'm also seeing customers where they're relooking at their full org and saying, well, instead of having it where it's a chief marketing officer and it's a chief um, you know, customer officer, what if we pull that together? And why don't we have it so that there's one person responsible for the entire customer experience? And when you start to align that, then there's no longer this silo of like, I own this part of it and I own the sort of in-person retail part and that person owns the online retail part. If they all just together under one head own the customer experience... It starts to then force people to rethink, oh, wait a minute, shouldn't this be connected? Why is our in-store experience so choppy versus online or vice versa? And who are the people that we need in place to now make this more seamless?
0: Mm, very interesting. The um, The whole concept of having someone ultimately responsible for CX reminds me a lot of when, when I first started like properly learning the theory behind marketing. So I, I went to uni to do music, didn't think there was a career in that, so I ended up dropping out. And I went back later to study marketing as a way of I... learning how to sell music, which again didn't work out. But anyway, <laughs> 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 so like, so um the thing with with marketing, I realised is that I, I left that, and I worked at a few marketing agencies and stuff like that. And, and I, my kind of assessment of what marketing is was that marketing is everything because marketing touches. Everything, your pricing strategy, your product strategy, every time your brand meets your customer, that's a brand engagement, that's marketing. It's like everything was marketing. And then now I I sort of think the same about customer experience, which is that Mm -hmm. everything is customer experience. Every time that your customer meets your brand, whether it's on your product, whether it's a service based thing or it's before, after sale, wherever that is. It's all customer experience, you know, and so it's almost like the person who runs customer experience is ultimately responsible for pretty much everything <laughs> because it's it's for example your pricing strategy might be wrong and therefore you have an there's a lot of a, a knock on effect on the customer experience because when someone gets to your website and sees the price it's like oh that's a bit expensive you know do you know what I'm saying it it's all it all affects people's emotions which is um which is interesting the thing you mentioned about kind of Wayfair and preempting and being proactive so I I, 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 I liken those kind of sort of examples to um, so we've got this DITAT framework which is the kind of maturity of use cases when it comes to conversational AI and you start with deflecting which is like FAQ sort of stuff Then there's interpreting, which is like root into the right place or maybe it's retrieving information from a line of business system to answer people's questions in a more personal way. Then you've got transacting, which is like fulfillment. So you're actually two-way integrations into business systems. You're actually allowing people to self-serve and get stuff done. Then you've got assisting, which is being more proactive. So looking at your business systems, looking at the customer journey, seeing that this person rang three days ago about this one thing and the chances are they're probably calling back about something else. And so you can start to be a lot more personalized, essentially. And then you've got transforming. And that transformative area is where there's so much untapped potential. And and again, it comes down to imagination because I don't think people are even thinking about it. I'll give you a, a story, right? I bought these. The other day, right? I was I had my eye on these for a long time. They weren't coming out. I was looking for the the release date. These these nice Air Max uh, Air Max ones, right? Beautiful trainer <laughs> or sneaker, should I say? And uh, so I go onto the End website. I actually went to the Nike website first, and it sold out on all. Everything was sold out apart from size sevens, which don't fit me. So I go to End after searching a few different places. And I find that they've got the they've got the got them in stock, right? In my size. I then bought the trainers, come off the uh, thingy, went back to the homepage, and on the homepage I saw you this big, you know, in app deal, save 15%. I thought, eh, you could have told me that before I bought them. So I thought, I'll try and cancel my order. No way of cancelling my order. I thought, right, what am I gonna mm-hmm. do then? So I had to so I had to buy them again using the discount, wow. right? And I thought I'll just return oh. the other ones because You know, I've got X times to return them to return them. So I I bought them again, used the discount, and straight away I sent an email to the info email. I said, I've just bought these trainers at this price. This is my order number I want to cancel. Now, there's step one opportunity, right? That email could quite easily just be an automated email that picks up that I want to cancel, runs and makes the cancellation, stops all contact right. beyond that. Yeah, doesn't need a person, doesn't need someone to be involved, just needs to recognize it was a very simple email. I've just ordered this. Here's my order number. I want to cancel. Simple as that. There's opportunity number one. Instead, it took, it took a day for someone to get back to me and say, uh, sorry, you can't, you can't cancel if it's after the first hour. And so you'll have to oh. just send them back. <laughs> yeah, so okay. <laughs> I'll just okay. send them back then. So this morning they arrived. Oh, you have two. <laughs> and here they are. <laughs> and they're just going to go straight back, right? They're just sending them straight back. Now, this is where the transformative part comes, right? Because I've, all it takes is for a text message to come through here from End, the, the brand, saying, hey, we got your email about cancelling. Um, turns out you know my browsing history, you know exactly what I've been looking at. You could quite easily say, we're going to extend extend this app offer, or in fact, we're going to discount another 10% on, on these sneakers that you know I've been looking at. Right? This could easily be done over a text message. Because because you wanted to uh, re- return the items, we, we, instead we're, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a, a discount for the, for the amount of those sneakers with some more discount on these sneakers you've been looking at. And therefore, I'll still send them back, but I won't get the money back. I'll just basically, they'll keep my money. The alternative, which is what's going to happen right now, is I'm going to send these back and I'm going to get a refund and they're going to lose that that money. So they could quite easily just do an outbound text message, give me a a sweeten the deal to try and keep hold of my money, just swap the trainers for another pair of trainers, give me a little discount and you probably keep hold of the money. That's something where I'd consider more of a sort of, you know transformative use case because the amount of times retailers get stuff sent back and that's money that they're going to have to then pay back out to people whereas they've got the revenue they've got the money all they need to do is just try and sweeten the deal to have people keep hold or maybe they'll still send the item back but keep hold of the revenue you know give them a different product give them another deal and so uh yeah end clothing if you're listening there's a transformative <laughs> use case for conversational ai and none of that needs to touch a person it can all be totally automated over sms or whatsapp or whatever you know
1: And I love that you put it under the category of transformative because I think a lot of times, like the word transformation comes up quite a bit. And to your point of imagination, people still think about it of the lens of like, I'm transforming because I'm moving to the cloud or I'm transforming because I've used AI. But the transformation is the connection of the dots. It's the idea of I didn't just transform what I was already doing and make it digital. It's the idea that I went beyond and said, how could I actually tackle this differently? And then it leads to a fundamental change in philosophy of how you look at things. So for the longest while, the contact center was the cost center, as you mentioned. But even beyond that, it was under the COO. It was considered an operational thing that needed to happen. And it was the idea of like, let's just make it as cheap and as efficient as possible, because it's this necessary pain that we have to go through just to make sure that we do have something for our customers. More and more, I'm seeing it shift, where it's now falling under a new title. It's not even following under marketing, because marketing is going through its own transformation. It's falling under this title of customer experience or digital experience in the sense of that person is actually an amalgamation of that contact center role, and that marketing role and looking at it into your example, really saying, OK, wait a minute, based off the information that we're getting, because the underlying thing also with the contact center that hasn't been happened for a long time. Yeah, a lot of people probably think it's happening because you call into a contact center and it says this call may be recorded for quality insurance practices, but More often than not, most contact centers, and I know this not only in terms of the hard truth of data from the different um, analysts that we work with, but the reality of working in roundtables and customers is most of our customers, most of the people running contact centers, less than 1%, 1%, 1% of all of these calls coming into the contact center are even being analyzed or listened. And if they are being listened to and analyzed, it's solely for the purpose of how can we make sure the agent hits a particular quality score. It's not even pushed up to the chain of how can we ensure that we run our business more efficiently. And so slowly there's this fundamental change of like, wait a minute, there is this thing Within the contact center, a lot of people like the term voice of the customer. For the longest while, voice of the customer was like, let's do uh, these roundtables with our customers. Let's do focus groups. Let's do surveys. Let's try to listen on social. But they weren't listening to the goldmine within their own organization, which was every single interaction with their customer. And so now it's like, wait a minute, how can we connect the dot of we have these calls coming in where the customer wants to return, why are we waiting, And or even emails, why are we waiting for a human to respond? So the reason why we're still catching up on the creativity piece is that the technology feels almost overwhelming and complicated. Because the technology that's there in terms of listening to that email has been there for a very long time. We kind of talked before this podcast about ChatGPT and how now it's actually made it that much easier and normalized for a lot of people that, yeah, this technology, not just generative AI, but AI period has existed for a very long time. The idea that you could use AI to listen to calls, to analyze an email, but not just analyze it just to see like how someone's responding, but to know what's the content of that actual email, what's the reason the person, so keywords. The reason why Kane sent the emails, he wants to cancel or return and then funnel that into a workflow that says, okay, cancel or return. Does it meet these requirements? Then we're going to do this. Oh, does it meet these requirements? Then I'm going to do that. What's happening for the longest while, there is almost this like invisible barrier between the tech guys who knew all of this sort of terminology and what it could do. And then the business person that had these pains but didn't know how to articulate to the tech person, how do I solve this? And so now that invisible barrier is basically coming down, not only because of AI, but something that we use at Unifor as well, we call it low code, no code, where it's the idea of you don't need to know a line of code to build these experiences. If you are comfortable enough with workflows, which I think we all are, little if and statements or little boxes that says, if this happens, this happens. If you're able to do that, then you can build an experience based off knowing just basic understanding that AI means that it's gonna be able to understand any sort of language part pattern, whether that's the conversation on voice or whether that's te- text. If it can understand that to the same level close to human in terms of saying, what is this about? What is the action needing, Then you can then say, well, based off that, this is what I wanna do because that person that emailed you back hours later <laughs> to mm-hmm. say that you can't cancel your order that's really what he did. He read the email. He went through his internal policy of like, okay, what do we do when a customer wants to cancel? Why does a human need to be involved in that process? A hundred percent. That could be technology that improves that. And then, less than an hour within seconds, that bot could have been able to automatically cancel the order for you so you wouldn't be there. But to your point of then taking it further, the transformation piece that's when you bring in some human element. That's when you would say, okay, you know what? Let's actually cancel it or because Kane you know orders from us quite often we kind of know his preferences and what he enjoys. Why don't we recommend but also then have a human follow-up? It doesn't have to be a call, it could be an email, but it could be John. John can now, a real person, John could now almost feel to Kane like a personal concierge because John has the time. John's no longer responding to a thousand cancel emails. John has the time to then get that sort of alert to say, "Kane, I see that you've ordered from us a couple of times. Would you be interested in this latest Jordan that just came out? Same price. We could package that up and send that to you. Right there, you've resolved. And that's the transformation piece. It's the idea of let's break down the barrier of tech." and the actual person close to the customer. And let's also connect the dots of what is customer experience because customer experience is no longer just the idea of let's have a contact center or let's have you know pretty packaging when they go into the store. Every single touch point, not only in terms of chatbot and human, but from the moment they see your commercial, the moment they walk by your store, when they interact with an ad, every piece of those things are customer experience. What are you doing and how are you using the Intel from your contact center and other spaces to ensure that it's so seamless and you're so consistent with the brand story that you're telling that it tells itself because then you have customers like me who are telling the story on your behalf because I had a great experience.
0: Exactly. Very well put. Very well put. You, you alluded to analytics uh, a couple of times there and, and, you know as i said it's one of the most underutilized and untapped areas i think of conversational ai not just in the context of what you were describing there in terms of contact centers have you know millions of calls coming through and they only look at like a small tiny percentage of them and even then they're looking for the wrong things you know they're looking for the agent what's the agent doing rather than what's the actual customer need. Um, But then with conversational AI, the same is exactly the case, which is that you're having conversations with people around a certain use case, and you can find all kinds of other issues that they're dealing with if you're able to monitor and listen appropriately, as well as how you can make that one use case better, of course. And so I wonder whether you can share a little bit in terms of Unifor's approach to analytics. and, And one is, I suppose, digging to find needs that are currently unmet. And the other is quantifying the changes that you make when you introduce some level of automation.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, So the one thing I'll I'll mention with Unifor is that we do actually have our own LLMs, our own large language models that we've been in business, King kind of alluded to it. We've been in business for 15 plus years working across the globe, started in India, now based in uh, California. And we service North America, APAC, uh, and EMEA. So we have 1,500 plus customers that have given us a really unique base of information to sort of track, understand and figure out, like, what can we do for our customers? And so for us, one of the reasons why analytics has been limited is just in terms of capabilities. So generative AI, large language models, what does it allow us to do? It allows us to now be able to figure out what's happening in those calls. I'll give you sort of a before and after. Before, when it came to analytics, we would need thousands of your calls. Let's say you're a customer, we would need thousands of your calls. And then a human person would have to listen and actually figure out, okay, what are the reasons for these calls that are coming in? Because companies like us have these large language models. So meaning that now the text or the voice, so speech to text that's being translated, we know sort of keywords to listen out to. We can match that to our own model to say, oh, if they say cancel, it's probably related to this type of reason they're calling or what we call an intent. And so what we are now able to do because of our own internal capabilities is what we call intent mining. And what that means is that instead of just listening to the call and it being a person tracking through when it's AI being applied to it, so the AI is listening to the call or it could be transcripts as well. It's going through that and saying, okay, Here's what we're seeing. We can actually pre-categorize. Before, the other way, the human was basically saying, you tell us what you think the top drivers are, and we'll listen for that. Now, the opposite way is the AI saying, you don't have to tell us anything. We're going to listen, and we're going to be able to categorize what are the top reasons people are calling. Why is that valuable? Because we have bias, So as a human, as a person managing a contact center, you might have assumed and would have told your company that's doing analytics on your behalf to listen for these particular call drivers or listen for these particular keywords. And that's all you would have gotten. They would just give you back what you were looking for. With AI, it's saying, I'm giving you back more. I'm actually telling your top reason for all of these different call drivers are collection calls. It's not even returns. It's the fact that the customer that you allowed to buy that item and they can buy now, pay later, are not paying later. That's actually the biggest call driver. They're looking for extensions on those different things versus the idea of returns and exchanges. And then it's giving you a different layer. Depending on the company you're working with, with Unifor, Not only is it AI, but we actually take a lens, what we call sentiment analysis to get a sense of like, okay, yes, here's the different calls that are coming in, but what's the sentiment attached to this? And this is important because it helps you figure out, should this particular type of call be handled by a bot or should it be handled by a human? Because depending on the complexity and the emotion that's happening in those calls, for example, going back to collections, then there are gonna be certain instances where you could say, all right, at a certain part of the collection call, let's say they're only 30 days overdue and your company policy is, we're gonna extend them 15 days. There's not much emotion, that there's not much negotiating that that customer needs. They're happy, they speak to a bot and you could then give them that extension. But if it's their 90 days overdue, you're now about to send them over to the collection agency there's probably more negotiating. There's probably more emotion. They 100% do not want to speak to an automated bot, whether text or voice. They want to speak to a human. And then that human, you might give, because of your own internal business policies, some sort of leeway of like, okay, here's some other... Characteristics or factors to take into account on how you're going to treat this customer. And it comes down to some individual pieces. Maybe they're a long standing customer for five years. They had some other interactions with us, but there's going to be a human piece that you want to bring in. The idea for us when it comes to analytics is really saying, let's use it to help us figure out what type of transformative experience we should be creating and not to just have this one size paintbrush of like, We're going to automate just to automate. We're going to make sure that we drive to this metric internally of call deflection because we're trying to reduce costs. No, we're going to do it in a way that balances the customer experience with the need of this operational efficiency. And so we're going to say, let's take 80% of these types of calls. Now the analytics can analyze that for you and say, here's the calls where you're going to have the best success at actually call containment self-service, and the customer actually doesn't want to talk to you anyways. So they're going to be very happy going through this process. You've met your you've met your internal metric. And then here's the ones that you do want to send to an agent that are maybe a bit more complex, take a bit more information needed, and you're still going to be able to service those at a high level and at a reduced cost because there's less of the other calls coming in. So that's one way, just looking at the contact center, where analytics can be transformed. One thing that we've seen though, so we work with a number of different industries. One that I've worked with recently that I thought was interesting was on the tech side. So this is IT help desk. As I mentioned, the definition of contact center is now expanding. People don't necessarily think of IT help desk as contact center. That's fine. Just think of it as a service experience. But what I found fascinating is they were using analytics to say, we're listening to and. For them, it was emails coming in. They had a ticketing system. We're tracking every single email that comes in, and we're getting a sense of why customers are emailing us, whether it's, you know, the service board is kind of knocking down over and over again, or a particular software that they downloaded didn't actually work. We're not just using that to improve the IT person that's responding on the other end. We're sending that to our product team it's actually informing the roadmap of how do we then in the future roll out new patches? How do we then think about the new features we should be adding to the product? And I found that fascinating. I got excited when I heard that use case because I thought, wow, well, here's a company thinking out of the box because they said, we have this gold mine of data. Why are we just using it to improve service? We can use it to improve products. And I, I thought that was fascinating.
0: Mm, definitely. And that's one of the one of the benefits actually of, of deploying those kind of conversational solutions is that you, you alluded to it there anyway, which is um, Matt Dixon's kind of angle, which is like your customers don't want to call you anyway. And anything that any effort they have to put into contacting you is effort wasted. It's effort that they could have been putting into their work, their family, their whatever it might be. And so anything you can do to reduce that effort is good. But anything yeah. you can do to prevent that conversation in the first place is even better. And so awesome. if you can use that data to figure out what's going wrong, put an end to what's going wrong before and therefore reducing the, the need to contact in the first place. A lot of people, I think, that work in conversational AI are, are a little bit sort of almost like reluctant to to be Looking at that specifically because it's negating the need to design a conversation if you don't need to have the conversation in the first place. But that's kind of the reality of it, you know. Like, and, and that's what that data is, is really good for. Um, so, so let's just let's let's say then that we've used some technology to identify call drivers. We've prioritized some fixes. We've prioritized some automation opportunities. We then go ahead and design and implement some automation uh, activities. How mm-hmm. does Unifor kind of measure the impact of those things what kind of what do you we've, we spoke about containment a little while back it might have even been before we started the broadcast which is that a lot of bra- a lot of brands still view containment as a positive metric um, it's a little pet peeve of mine because I think there's a lot more to it than that and containment any anyone can create a bot that contains it could be the worst bot in the world and it will contain pretty successfully <laughs> uh, so I'm just curious about how does Unifor approach measuring the impact and analyzing the impact of automation efforts?
1: Yeah, uh, I think this is part of the advisory piece as well. So we are also beholden to how does the customer that we enable want to measure it? So we look at it through a box of sort of four areas. It's going to be customer experience, so you think of your NPS CSAT scores. It's going to be employee experience, so you can look at it from the um, on-ramping time, how do we reduce that, the churn of the employee Operational efficiency, that's where you get the things that I think everybody's comfortable with because that's where contact center was for so long. It's called attainment, it's HT, it's FCR, it's all of those pieces. And then we look at the revenue side because more and more, because this opportunity is opening up of the agent becoming free, it really is looking and saying, okay, well, if we can be personal, if the agent does have some time to actually think through other ways to service the customer, can we upsell and cross-sell? And so then looking at some metrics in terms of what's the uplift there. And so that's really the holistic lens that we recommend every customer look at because you can get to a call deflection rate that feels good. Maybe your company had a target of 80%, but if it was at the expense of your NPS dropping, to 30 or something like that, way below your own industry average, if it's at the expense of customer churn, if it's at the expense of a decrease in revenue, then what was the point of the call deflection, right? So Mm. it's the piece of like, let's have a couple of different measures. That's going to be the idea of success. So what I always say is like, let's have a priority on customer experience and employee experience without the sacrifice to your bottom line. And that bottom line being operational efficiency and revenue. Because the other piece that's been the reality for a very long time in contact center is also the churn rate of agents. So Mm. it's, as we mentioned, it's an entry-level role. It's also a very chaotic role. There's a lot of information being thrown at you and a lot of expectation at you. A number of people burn out after a while, but you can imagine what that means in terms of just trying to have a baseline level of great experience is that you're constantly having new people on the phone who may tell a customer the wrong thing that might put the customer on hold for a very long time that may not actually be able to manage the multiple things they need to do. So you get the wrong information at the end. And how do they summarize the call? What's the data coming out of that? So you want to, as much as possible, retain those agents so that there can be some knowledge sharing. So when they move up the chain, they can actually come back and help anybody new that's coming in as well. So there's a couple of different angles. And for us, more often than not, we find prioritizing that back end piece of ensuring the agent has the tools that they need, that they feel comfortable, that they know that they're not just being measured on those QA operational efficiency scores, but there's other things that can factor into their own development, like how long does it take for them to onboard? What are they doing in terms of maybe some incentives cross-sell, upsell of a new promotion going on, that's gonna have downstream impacts on the other pieces of the customer feeling good because the customer is getting a great experience consistently, whether it is a self-service experience or an agent one, you're hitting your ops metrics and you're getting some revenue.
0: Mm, Nice.
1: What percentage
0: kind of like if you were to look at all of Unifor's clients, what sort of like percentage do you think are deploying things like internal capabilities for like you mentioned it support or hr so that and then you've got like agent assist capabilities mm-hmm. where the the assistant is with the agent on the back end helping the agent as you said like decreasing training time and stuff like that versus the kind of like front end fulfillment automation so sort of i don't know if you could help share where you see the market sort of demand being uh based on the clients that you have
1: Yeah, no. So for us, I would say we have a high percentage on the back end. So we look at it together. Analytics for us is the baseline. So for us, analytics is that starting piece of understand. And so the majority of our customers have an analytics solution in place based on our recommendation of like, that's where you start to deploy the best self-serve or agent experience. And what does that look like and how should that be programmed and how do you optimize it? Then I would say we have a very strong majority between self-service and agent, a stronger majority on the agent side. The main reason for this is not necessarily lack of customer appetite. If anything, it's a little bit of the market. So the idea of a chatbot and self-service has been there for a very long time and people, if anything, are now just kind of tired of the generic chatbot of like, oh yeah, speak to a chatbot. It can only answer a couple of questions. And so it's not really deflecting anything. If anything is frustrating the customer because they still have to go to an agent. So what's happening is it's really the brands themselves saying, well, I'm not ready to try it. Because the agent side of things is less risk. Me instituting a tool in the back end allows me to get a taste of what it looks like, what it feels like, what does it mean for the agent. And so the agent's my employee. I can kind of manage their adoption of this tool. If I have a self-service tool, I'm putting my brand on the line. I'm putting that customer interaction on the line. And so for me to program that self-service experience, it means that I need to have a strong sense of trust that this is going to give the best experience possible. And so a lot of our customers start with analytics, do the agent side, and then move to the self-serve side. And we recommend that as well. The positive is all of our tools are built on the same platform. And the main benefit of that is that the information that we're building, because much as we have our own models and we have it pre-trained for over 13 industries, there are unique things for each company. And so what you wanna do is make sure that the model is now being added and enriched with your own knowledge base, the own new promotions that are coming every interaction that happens with the agent is fully training that model. And so that model can easily now be deployed when it comes to self-service. So now you're not starting net new when you are ready to do a chat bot or a voice bot. It's actually working off of all the information it got through the analytics, through the agent experience. And so now you can have more of a conversational experience. That's Really, our bread and butter is not just the program of self-serve experience of yes and no or simple FAQs, but really looking at how can self-service be more conversational? How can it actually provide the credit on the account? How can it actually update the, the address? How can it take action on your behalf? And even more so, one of the things even outside of AI that we do with our self-service is we have a visual component to it. So... If you're not on chat, but you want to call into the IVR and you want to schedule an appointment, it's super annoying to schedule an appointment when you have to give the date in sort of their format of like 11, 06, 23. The idea of being able to be on the phone with the chatbot, it sends you a text, and then you can visually select the options. You could sign terms and conditions. You can select the date so you can schedule an appointment. All of those things now factor into us having a better self-serve. So then there is, I would say, a third of our customers there with more and more coming on board because of having that flow of like, how do we create the best experience to your point? How do we create that transformation experience? It's us sort of stepping back, understanding it, really thinking through what are the reasons people are calling in? How do they want to be treated? And then programming a better self-serve experience that feels almost human like, but is proactive, preemptive in a lot of ways.
0: Mm, Nice. Nice. And so if a client came to you with that use case of the internal kind of agent assistive uh, solution Um, because the thing is you've got different ways of of doing it haven't you? You've you've got kind of like in terms of your approach to AI automation you've got the internal stuff as we we mentioned the AI, the the help desk and stuff like that Uh, then you've got width versus uh, depth breadth versus depth rather so agents need breadth They need lot. If you've got six different systems that you need to work with, Mm -hmm. you need to find a way of having one interface to consolidate those six systems. If you've got a knowledge base that takes a lot of understanding and getting to grips with, you need something that's going to simplify that and make things easier for people to get answers while they're in the middle of having a phone call with someone, multitasking and stuff like that. So, like, whereas on the front end, so that's width, breadth. On the front end, you could you could achieve some level of depth, which is you could automate just one transaction, one service, where is my order, processing those returns, as we mentioned. And you get value from doing that, but it's not a a wide thing. It's just you're just solving for one specific use case. Um, With the agent assisting, because it requires so much breadth, I'm wondering if you can get your thoughts on whether this is true or not, which is that it can be a big effort to do because of the requirements being so sort of broad, if that makes sense. I wonder if you've got any insights or tips you could share in terms of creating those agent assist uh, capabilities that people would need to consider if they're going to go ahead and do that?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. The the biggest thing is you don't start with the breath. So similar to how you would deploy the self-service, and this is one of the reasons why we say start with understand is looking at it and saying, okay, what are sort of those top calls that are coming in that are causing you the most pain? Start there. There's no reason why when you deploy AI, it has to be for every single use case or reason why a customer calls, because you also have to factor in the change management piece for the agent itself. When you introduce this new tool to the agent, for you to say, okay, now throw away everything else. So you've already had to learn everything about our business and how we operate. Now you have to use this new tool for every single call that comes in. It's not gonna be the best way for adoption. That's the biggest thing for us is the idea of let's, again, factor in the human piece, not only the customer and how are they going to feel about it, but the agent. The agent at the end of the day is an individual that needs to also buy into the tool. What can happen, and the reason why we actually come in a lot of the times, is that our customer has actually purchased some sort of back-end tool before they introduced it, but they introduced it, to your point, with that breadth, and the agent didn't use it, there's not really a mandatory requirement for the agent to use it because the biggest thing the business is looking for is just results. Did you get off that call in time? Did you resolve the customer's issue? If you use the tool, yeah, you could have some internal metrics to make sure you use the tool, but a lot of agents may not use it. For us, the biggest thing is you want the agent to adopt it. So why wouldn't you do it for something simple in the beginning to get their hands wet in terms of how it works? What does it mean to have a tool that can give you alerts for some agents that might be distracting? So to have that for every single thing, here's the alert for the upsell. Here's the alert for how to update the account. Here's the alert. You're not actually being nice. You need to change your tone. It can be too much. So you want to start off and say, you know what? For the simplest use case, we want to make sure that from a compliance standpoint, every single time we sell a new credit card, I'm using a bank example, every single time we sell a credit card, maybe it's one of our higher end cards, This is sort of the path we want the agent to go through. This is the level of empathy. Here's the knowledge base alerts that they're going to have to have access to. You would start there first. You could either start by what's causing you the most pain or what's going to be the more higher value piece. And it all depends on the skill set of your own agents as well. So a lot of where to start isn't just start here and it's the same for everyone. It takes into account The skill set of your team, whether you're outsourcing. So a lot of companies that we work, they outsource their contact center to another company. So then what do we have to do with that company to get them online? And then it's the piece of like budget at the end of the day, to be honest. So how are you going to get revenue approval for this new tool? You need to show results within a certain period of time. To say that we're going to deploy this, we're going to take the next nine months to deploy it on every single thing and we'll see results nine months afterwards isn't going to work. We all work within those fiscal years. So to say we're going to deploy something in the next, you know, 30 to 60 days and immediately see results within 30 days after that, that's how you build your business case. That's how you can then bring it to your leaders to say, okay, I want to be able to get this online. The cost structure can then be flexible from there of like, how do we add on more? So I think the biggest thing, and hopefully what we're learning with AI, cause it's been here for a long time, but the lessons that we're seeing our customers learn is we do not need to go with breadth right away. Transformation, I love that you had sort of a maturity model. Transformation does not need to be today, but that needs to be the goal. So you already need to have in your mind, that's where I want to go, but how do I get there? I start off by ensuring that I get the adoption of the tool, that I see that it's actually working, that here's a couple of use cases that are valuable to the company so I can see some return on my investment. And then we're going to scale from there so we can rethink how we actually do things.
0: Nice. Nice, wicked. Maybe we've got time for one last question. Quick fire question coming from uh, from Richard here, which is uh, one of the challenges of designing a combined automated agent and real agents together, or an agent experience rather. So you've got the the, the behind the scenes agent experience and the front end um, customer experience. One of, the, one of the challenges of, of, of combining those two is the varied mindsets of customers. Some people mm-hmm. want to talk to people, some don't. How do you think about designing a solution that meets the needs of a spectrum of customers?
1: I, I think the biggest thing, and this is why you always have to think about where are you in your business? Uh, I love the example, um, I think it's recently with the airlines. They have their point system and they're, they're rethinking how they're going to tier their point system. The idea of like, what does the customer want? How do they want to be served? Potentially is going to be housed within the context of how you as a business outside of contact center want to serve them. So if you have some sort of step and this happens a lot in travel hospitality, but it could happen in banking as well. If you have some sort of tiered system of like, if they're at this sort of spend or this category of loyalty, then 100% they're gonna get an agent experience all the time versus self-serve. But it could be also in relation to the reality of your business. We have a healthcare customer that looked at it and said, there's a number of our customers that are in a certain demographic. They're a little bit older and they prefer to be on the phone. We're gonna make sure, depending on their profile, you have a lot of information on your customer. Depending on their profile, depending on what they're looking for, We are going to actually have them bypass, skip the self-serve option and go straight to an agent for the particular use cases that are higher value for us, or just in general, because we want to make sure that this customer is being treated the way they want to be treated. So the way that you design the experience depends on the customer base and how do you want them to experience you? Because that's the positive with AI is that based off different rules you put in place, it could go self-service and that's back to that whole piece of the if-then statements of like, now don't look at it through the couch lens of like, I need to understand all the technology. Look through the lens of what's the experience that I want to power, and then know the technology exists to power that experience. Nice,
0: brilliant. Thank you so much, Kim. Kim, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for for joining me. It's been it's been absolutely brilliant. Um, where can people go to to find out more about Unifor? Uniform com, isn't it?
1: Unifor.com, yeah, best place. Or you can check us out on LinkedIn as well if you're watching us there or on YouTube. We have a number of different videos that give you background on some customers we've worked with as well as our products. And it's been a pleasure, Kim. Thank you for the nice time. Nice one.
0: Thank you so much. And thank you all for, for tuning in and thank you for being involved. Uh, this week, Who what's happening this week? We have on uh, Thursday, we're talking to Tim Frible from Genesis. And I suppose it's going to be a little bit similar to touching on some of the things we've touched on today, which is all around journey analytics. So we've spoken a lot today around intent mining and and starting your automation strategy by looking at the data that you have. We spoke a little bit and we've touched a little bit on measuring the impact, but we're going to get into detail on customer journey analytics and how you can utilise customer journey analytics to improve your conversational automation strategy. And that is going to be this Thursday at uh, probably a similar time, a little bit later, so 5pm UK. If you are interested in being involved in that, Thank you again so much, Kim. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you.